about to hear is not your typical Higher Journeys episode. My frequent guest, Linda Moulton Howe, paid us another visit to deliver what I would describe as more reminiscent of a classic Earth Files report. Linda takes us down a rabbit hole that still has no end in sight. We're discussing the perplexing anomaly of the ET UFO phenomenon as it relates to contact encounters coupled with the strange emergence of symbols and binary code. By now, you may be well aware of the extensive research Linda has done on the famous Rendlesham Forest incident at RAF Bentwater in Woodbridge, England, and we'll certainly be revisiting that today. But beyond that, Linda will share how she is putting some major pieces together to this infinitely large puzzle. Here now is Linda Moulton Howe. Well, hello, everyone. Today, we're welcoming back to our show for the sixth time, I cannot believe it, the sixth time, Ms. Linda Moulton Howe. Linda will be one of the featured speakers at the upcoming Contact in the Desert event out in Indian Wells, California, in just a couple of weeks. Can't believe that either. And while she's there, she's going to be discussing, among other topics, her extensive research into how symbols and binary code play into events of high strangeness, namely the ET and UFO, or these days we say the UAP phenomenon. Now, Linda, I want this to be the focus of our discussion today because there are so many complex and yet revelatory implications to what we may be looking at here. This nexus with contact with intelligent entities and binary code and symbols, including a kind of hieroglyphic messaging that has come up in several of the witnesses that you've interviewed at great length. As with most, if not all of the anomalous aspects of the ET UAP phenomenon, this case is far from over, I think we can agree. So let's continue the discussion today. But before we do, let me formally welcome you back to Higher Journeys, Linda. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I think it is so important that you, I, and others can share some facts about subjects at the 6 o'clock news. Mm. It's not yet covering, but my prayer is that sometime in the next year or two, we're finally going to get that breakthrough headline that we're not alone in this universe. Here Mm. are the reasons why. And even if they have to talk about friendlies, neutrals and hostiles, I would rather be alive on planet Earth Hmm. when everybody had the same truth, the power brokers and the rest of us. And if we get to that point, then the subjects that you and I are talking about today, that we'll be talking about a contact in the desert and any other conferences, radio, television, ancient aliens and on, then it will no longer be looked at as speculative, as possibly uh, something that people who didn't understand what they saw were reporting, and we can finally go by counterintelligence that has had a control on these subjects since World War II, men and women paid to keep the media and the public in the dark. That's why I am personally so kind of, uh, I think, exhilarated in a strange way Mm. that today it feels to me that we are getting into subjects that have not been talked about in the public before and it is happening because right now ancient aliens we're in our 12th season 
And there, we are now number one around the world in India, number one around the world in television in Indonesia. We are in top three to five all over in Europe and Australia and New Zealand. And it is the most watched show on the History Channel. Isn't that something? Isn't that so? I did not know those statistics. Well, I yes. think that in and of itself, Linda, is telling us we're making a crack in this this infinite, infinitely thick glass ceiling. Yeah. Your your enthusiasm, I have to just pause for a minute and say, is just unmatched. Your passion, I don't even know what adjectives to use anymore. I know that this is something that you want so desperately to see, not just for yourself, yeah. but for, for the evolution of mankind. I don't think the lid can be kept on this that much longer. I really just don't think. The, the momentum is just way too high. And I think the consciousness factor, the quotient, if you will, of our public is so uh, high uh, that it has to spill over. Don't you think? it's It's got to be soon. Yes. Uh, there is kind of a mantra that I keep on my computer and I often send to people. And it is an actual quote by the original Buddha. And it is, quote, there are three things that cannot be long hidden, the sun, the moon, and truth. I love it. Let's, let's meditate on that for a minute. I love it. I think that's the truth. <laughs> that's the truth. And so here we go. Well, speaking of truth, I know you've been trying to get to the bottom of what you have been looking into for quite a few years now. And that has to do I always think of uh, Sergeant, uh, Staff Sergeant Jim Penniston and Ren the Rendlesham Forest case, of course. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. But as it relates to this most anomalous binary code and other symbols that have been, uh, that have become kind of the center focus of your, your research in this, I want to I start uh, with that. Now, you, you emailed me recently and said that you, you've been learning a little bit more about all of this. And in terms of translating this binary code, which seems to be a very arduous process, you recently went to the University of Pennsylvania. Is that true? And, and were able to dig up some more research? We have to set the stage. Please do. Please do. Going back to 2010, it was in October, and uh, Staff Sergeant, retired, Jim Penniston, uh, Tech Sergeant retired John Burroughs and I were with the Ancient Aliens Prometheus crew from Los Angeles in Phoenix, where we were sort of doing the entire landscape of what Jim Penniston and John Burroughs remembered or did not remember about 72 hours in England, December 26th to 28th, 1980, each of those three nights after midnight. So the, the simple story is John Burroughs was the only human at the huge RAF Bentwaters Woodbridge Air Base in those 72 hours to have been seen by witnesses to be engulfed in mysterious light twice. Penniston was a witness to bright white light uh, descending on both him and John in the forest. And why were they there? Because before midnight on what would have been December 25th, Christmas, going into the early morning of December 26th, the East Gate at RAF Bentwaters Woodbridge, NATO's biggest base in Europe at the time, 
received a notice, a call, that there were red, orange, blue, white lights that were being seen in Rendlesham Forest that ran all along the big base. And there was a uh, shift commander who decided that he wanted to send some men out into the forest to see with their own eyes what are these lights. There was confusion. Could a plane, a private plane, have crashed? Something Has something crashed and is the forest on fire? Those were the initial questions. The men assigned were Staff Sergeant Jim Peniston. He was senior rank. Airman First Class John Burroughs, who had not been in Bentwaters for more than a year. Mm-hmm. A brand new fresh airman named Ed Kavansack. And they are told to go into the forest and they decide first to go in a truck so that they could go as far into the forest as they could. And when they were going to get to the truck, they saw the lights in the trees. And so they already had firsthand eyewitness uh, to the lights in the trees before they got the truck into the forest. When they got into the forest, the ground was extremely frozen and Staff Sergeant Peniston made a decision. He said to uh, Airman Kavansak, I want you to stay with the truck and Airman Burroughs and I are going to go as far as we can into the forest on foot after these lights. And that is how the first separation occurred. Kavansak is at the truck and the two Burroughs and Peniston go. In December of 2010, on the 30th anniversary of what I'm describing now, John Burroughs, Jim Peniston, Linda, ancient aliens crew, we went to England on the 30th anniversary, and we had the opportunity to watch these two men for the very first time returning for the first time together at the forest. What happened over about four days and four nights was at first they were confused and eventually as we moved around in the forest and along an area called Capel Green, Jim Peniston and John began to feel like they were back in the forest area that they remembered 30 years before. And it was at that point that an event that had happened back in October became linked to what we were doing on the 30th anniversary in the forest. And here are the links. Back in the conference room where we were filming with Jim and John in October of 2010 before leaving two months later for England, the crew was beginning to wrap up We had been being interviewed all day. Jim Peniston had gone over to a part of the room and picked up a briefcase. And first he came to John and said, did I ever show this to you? And then both men asked me to come with them. And Jim Peniston reached into his briefcase and he pulled out approximately a uh, seven or eight inch long by about four inch wide notebook sort of leather bound. Men said that when Staff Sergeant Peniston was working at RAF Bentwaters, he always had a notebook. Mm -hmm. He was called out 
on any kind of air crashes or air incidents, and he always wrote in his notebook. Now, in Phoenix, as he pulls out this notebook, he says to John first, did I ever show you this? John says, no, what is this? He says, this is the notebook that I had on December 26, 1980. And he starts flipping to the back. And now John and I are watching and he comes to the last a half a dozen pages and there are zeros and ones filling up all of the pages at the end. And then he tells us, and John Burroughs told me this was the very first time in October of 2010 with Prometheus at, uh, in Phoenix that he, John Burroughs, ever heard anything about the binary code. Mm. And the crew came over and that was where we got the first images of the zeros and ones that would eventually be used in ancient aliens as we tell the 30th anniversary. That notebook between October and December, I and Prometheus went to binary code specialists. We did independent analysis of what those zeros and ones added up to. The basic, uh, the basic theme was that if humanity is going to survive, it must advance. And the word advance and the continuation of humanity is the theme. Now, go two months into December, and we are now on December 26, 2010. John Burroughs, Jim Penniston, Linda and the ancient alien crew are now in a part of the forest where we were finding next to the forest, we were finding still electromagnetic signatures that caused a trifield meter to completely go into a steady beep. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Did not know we were getting and John and uh, Jim were both saying we can feel it. There's something still here. And Jim walks into a part of the forest and he begins as if remembering. And we all said it was like he went literally back to that time. And that's when we also heard him saying, there's a blast of white light. John was there and then I can't see him. But what I do see is a black triangle. It looks like it's made of black glass and I start dragging my hands around it, and I take out my notebook, and I sketch the craft, and when I come around to one side near the point of about a nine foot, seven to nine foot long triangle, in uh, the top of it about seven to nine feet above the forest floor, he said, I'm dragging my fingers along this gl black glassy surface, and it feels so much warmer than the cold, cold, humid English air. And I get to the front and I feel for the first time with my fingers, it felt like Braille. It felt like something was raised. And when I, my fingers dragged across those raised symbols that he did later write down in his notebook, through his mind, Jim Penniston said, came right to left in his uh, mind's 
4i, zeros and ones. And they came parading across zeros and ones and they didn't stop. Meanwhile, back in central security control, this is another huge part of the evidence, central security control filled with people whose jobs in the largest NATO base in Europe to keep track of any operation that is going on at their base, let alone going out into Rendlesham Forest, was going out to civilian land. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the military had to have permission to go out into the civilian land of Rendlesham, and they all had to leave their guns behind. And Jim said that all of a sudden, not knowing that central security control for 45 minutes had been trying all of the time to raise the three men on radios. And that included Ed Kavansack back at the truck. Mm -hmm. They could not reach anyone. It is a 45 minute missing time in which nobody could communicate with those three men. And suddenly at the end of that 45 minute time, Pennison said it was really clear throughout all the binary code that was still going in his head. It did not leave, but he didn't say anything to anybody. What jer jerked him into reality was <clears throat> a blast, another blast of white light. And out of that, what he thought was the second blast of white light, he now sees John again. And he says, I don't know where John was. I don't remember seeing him, but now he's back. Now this is where John Burroughs' memory kicks in, that it has been gone for all of these years since December 1980. John has never been able to fill in any of the details after the first blast of white light and then the second blast of white light. And then both of the men are becoming aware of each other and they both watch this enormous white light move up and at the treetops and then take off and disappear. Hmm. Now, when we were in England, it was the very first time that the details of what happened to Jim versus John really started becoming clear mm -hmm. because John Burroughs was asking questions and Jim was answering and said, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't want to tell anybody about these zeros and ones I could not get out of my uh, mind's eye. And Jim and John both remember they're taken to each other's respective homes. And Jim says inside of the house, he couldn't get them out of his mind. He couldn't sleep. He was having a hard time eating, doing anything because of these zeros and ones that wouldn't stop going right to left. And he was afraid, maybe embarrassed, that if he called up somebody and told them, they would put him in uh, a mental institute, is mm -hmm. what he was afraid of. And eventually, on the second day, Jim said he was at his wit's end, pacing wanting the zeros and ones to leave and what seemed to him like a telepathic voice just says, sit down and write the zeros and ones in your notebook. 
Okay. He does that, takes the order, fills up those pages that we saw for the first time in October of uh, 2010. And as soon as he had, and you can see on the last page, the ink trails off. He said everything disappeared. He finally had relief, but that he went from the end of December 1980 to October of 2010 before he ever showed those inked zeros and ones to anybody, to us. And we, in the process, had the ability to get some translations, and there was uh, confusion and, uh, I would say, uh, not exactly conflict, but different points of view by the Prometheus uh, binary translator and the physicist, astrophysicist that I was working with, mm -hmm. brilliant man, they thought that it was about Woodbridge. We all thought it was about something that was identifying itself as being there in the Woodbridge area near the forest, mm -hmm. communicating that uh, that advancement of humans was necessary for us to survive. And the ancient aliens uh, decided that it was going to be a mythical location in the Atlantic Ocean that was either communicating or was referencing. My astrophysicist said, there's no question to me, it is basing its description of what it is and where it is at the town hall center of Woodbridge. Now, throughout all the years, that has been a dispute about binary code and why this is important to bring up. Every time you deal with binary code, you have to be in very specific formats. And in Jim's particular case, the format changed on the pages a bit and that all of the zeros and ones translated sometimes to what didn't make sense to us. Now, this is the perfect launching point off to Sergeant CJ. Okay. This is one of the most amazing UFO encounter cases of my 40-year career. It came to me from Sergeant CJ. That's not his real initials or anything, just a name we agreed because he still to this day wants to remain anonymous. And he and his wife, children, and dogs, and suitcases, and boxes, were moving from Savannah, Georgia, to a new assignment at Fort Carson in Colorado in uh, the summer of 2015. He was extremely skilled, is still in the Army, is extremely valued. He has many, many skills having to do with recognizing anything in the sky that moves, being able to sketch what it looks like, estimate speed, altitude. He does this for a living. He set the GPS to go from Savannah up to Colorado Springs, which is the area of Fort Carson. This is something he had done hundreds of times, has no confusion about working with GPS. Mm -hmm decided that the family would travel during the cool hours of the night and sleep in the hot hours of the day, and they take off as the sun is going down. 
everything is fine until both husband and wife both husband and wife remember the moment of looking up in the sky seeing a bright star brighter than venus and then both of them remember it coming swooping down right toward the front window of the pickup truck that they were in from there they have slightly different memories which is often is the case in encounters because humans are notorious for not being able to remember the same details but in general she saw symbols that were going around what she thought was the uh, center of the craft he saw symbols that he thought were in a slightly different place but they both remember seeing symbols okay he estimated based on all of his army skills that this glowing orange multicolored craft in front of him was 850 feet in diameter that's almost a thousand feet yeah now the children were asleep. The husband and wife are the only two witnesses. They both felt disoriented. He remembers looking at his watch because he did that all the time. It's totally a professional. Mm -hmm. He marked a specific time that he thought that this all happened. But then, when he starts to drive, he feels disoriented. His wife feels disoriented. He says, I've got to stop. I have to get some coffee. I have to do something. They see a, a, a roadside gas store place. They pull in. He goes and opens up the door, and he said, as soon as my left leg hit the ground, I collapsed. If I had not been hanging on to the door of the car, I would have fallen to the ground. I am now completely becoming panicked about what has happened to me. He said, I put my hands around on, on the, to move on the side of the truck, having the truck prop me up. He said, I felt like I was drunk, but we had not had anything to drink. And I, my wife is disoriented. And he said, I stumbled. I know that anybody watching me would have thought that I was drunk. I stumbled to the front door of that place. I got some Cokes and some food and some things slowly coming back into what felt like consciousness. And I took the receipt. The receipt gave a time and a location exactly. When they get back in the truck, he thinks that he should be headed to Atlanta in the near future because that's where his GPS was to go. Mm -hmm. They drive becoming clearer and they end up at a dead end on a road that is unrecognizable. It's rural. He turns the truck around now even more confused, uh, gets into the GPS and finds out that they were in a small rural farm town that went exactly uh, 90 degrees from where they had left Savannah. 
not going from Savannah going northwest, which is what his GPS route. Mm -hmm. So now they're in a town that he never had any calculation with. And he turns the truck around, as he says, feeling more and more anxious. And he's now working with the GPS and they finally, finally, it's getting in the wee hours of the morning and they are getting out to a freeway. Now he has another clear signal that Atlanta will finally be their destination, but they will not be reaching there until the morning. <laughs> and when they do, this is where a UFO story changes into something that is astounding. They get into a motel uh, as the sun is coming up outside of Atlanta. Everybody is exhausted. The kids, the wife, the animals, he, they all go to sleep. And he says, Linda, when my eyes opened, I am standing with my right arm braced against the door frame of the motel bathroom. My left arm is against the left side of the door frame, and in my fingers, I am holding the eight and a half by 11 receipt from the motel, and it's the back, and it is complete. For conscious commentary, and please don't forget to subscribe to our channel, and when you do, hit that notification bell so you'll be alerted as soon as our show airs. And now, back to our program. All right, folks, we're back. And I hope in the short uh, break we had, you had a chance to at least uh, initially digest all that Linda had to share with us. This is something that is very complex. I mean, even as an initial matter, Linda, our, the cornucopia of anecdotal evidence of, of, of contact with non-human intelligence on its face is perplexing. But how and you're raveling this, or putting this together, or unraveling it is really something else. And uh, Alexis, yes. at my uh, Monday uh, intensive workshop at Contact in the Desert and Indian Wells, my entire uh, two and a half or three hours or however long we're going to go is focused on a totally integrated, uh, woven, huge production that I've done. The formal part is 90 minutes long, and it shows in history. It shows through remote viewers. It shows through military. It shows through abductees mm. coming up to the current time how symbols and binary code have been a part of the dialogue of the conversation between other intelligences and human minds for mm -hmm. a very long time. And that when I have done this presentation in England, uh, it was a massive audience of 2,200 people that I was not sure if I was presenting material that was too complicated. I worried about that. And when I finished the 90 minutes on the binary code through the ages to now, the whole audience jumped up screaming hmm. and they got it. They all got it. And they something? were all grateful because some of those people came to me separately and confidentially after I spoke and said that they too had seen zeros and ones in a dream or zeros and ones came to them on a piece of paper. And that does happen in the human abduction syndrome. No question about it. Well, listen, I'm going to add to the tapestry 
of all of this. And I'm showing an image right now. I'm going to show the Higher Journeys audience. This is an image, uh, Linda, that was sent to me about, oh, I don't know, uh, six or seven months ago by a, a young woman named Haley. And Haley's actually given me permission to share uh, a couple of images with our audience. And of course, you had a chance to take a quick look at these. Haley says she began having a spontaneous communication with some form of intelligence back in May of last year, so about a year ago. And much of what was coming through uh, is translated as art. But as you can see, and again, we're showing the, the images here, one of the uh, images is clearly what looks to be, to me, some sort of a nucleus, some sort of a, um, you could even say it's an orb, some sort of glowing orb, but it is surrounded by binary code. Now, obviously, we cannot translate this uh, at all. And as a matter of fact, even if we sent this to be translated, as you were saying offline, we would need to have the binary code unobscured by these images. And I'm going to see if I can get a hold of Haley to see if she has uh, another version, perhaps. Uh, right. But I'd love to get your initial thoughts on what we're looking at here. Well, it is consistent with this pattern of some people in the abduction syndrome who get telepathic words. That's like hearing words in their mind. Or they get telepathic images. Uh, some people in the military, it was one, one of the fascinating interviews with a man who was working in the military, but he was actually reporting back to the CIA. And he had an interaction with what he called the extraterrestrial biological entity, Eben Gray. Mm -hmm. And he said that in the telepathic download, which they were doing as a uh, military mission, it was to try to expose him to what it was like to take a download from an Eben Gray, which is supposed to be one of our best friends, not hostile at all. And this was a training exercise. He said... As soon as the eyes of the gray being friendly caught his human eyes, he had been prepared and briefed. You will lose control of your mind from then on. Eventually, you will faint and we will catch you. And he thought that was stupid until he experienced it. And he said, if you had seven Hollywood feature films running in your head vividly all at the same time with gold hieroglyphs and runes and other glyphs superimposed on top of the seven movies and you felt temperature, you felt pressure, you felt smelled, everything was vivid. He said, that's what happens. And Linda, if God himself asked me, what did this being communicate to me? All I could say is, I know he was telling me all about his civilization, what they do in the universe, why they were here, but I have no idea. And I did faint and they had a unit of uh, support standing by to catch him. And he said, I waked up three hours later on a cot in an office after just one of these uh, expose him to what it is like to get an actual mind download from an Eben. Now, you take the drawing. This is probably somebody who actually is in the human abduction syndrome, mm -hmm. who is in their life, has been getting communication through dreams, getting communication possibly through synchronicity. Yes, she and, did talk about that, actually. Yeah. Yes. 
synchronicity plays a, a very important role in abductions and for people who may not understand. It's when you pick up a book and it opens right to the very page Absolutely. of whatever it is that you are uh, studying or you need or information. Or you were going to make a right turn on a trip and, and you made the wrong turn to the left and you end up discovering something that changes your life. That is synchronicity right. that relates to mathematical <clears throat> mathematical uh, kind of formulas that are going on between light and matter and frequency and intelligence. Agreed. Well, <clears throat> it is on those frequencies that apparently these advanced intelligences can put zeros and ones that we use on this planet in everything science and engineering. Right. And that those zeros and ones in some people stick and move right to left. It's always been described to me as right to left. Mm -hmm. The opposite of the way we write, by the way. Yes. Uh, more consistent with Eastern languages. And that People, some people get this compulsion that they must sit down with a pen or a pencil and write. Now, in this instance, what I would love to know from her is she's starting the zeros and ones. What happened when the circular yellow colored and orange colored objects superimpose on top of what was binary code? Right. Why did that happen? What did she perceive? And could she now? try to recapture or download more binary code that was completely clean with no images and I could get it to the Navy captain who does my binary translation. That would be amazing. I have a feeling, Linda, that she has had more than one download and has probably written them down. As a matter of fact, she we communicated quite a bit because I ended up incorporating a little bit of what she told me in my lecture that I gave in Australia back in January. So uh, she had since sent me some other images and I I need to go back in my archives and see there may be something else there but I am going to be in touch with her Haley if you're listening we're talking about you girl we want to find out what's going on you know I want to we're only going to go another uh, 10 or so minutes because I know you've got to, to run Linda go, no let's just go three ah. I, I am an editor waiting for me okay and we're going to wind down well, you know what let's I, I think we need this obviously you can't have a conversation this deep and and uh <laughs> And leave it another cliffhanger. Tell everybody, pick it up with me at the workshop at contact on that Monday. Absolutely. Well, we're gonna we're gonna the... make sure we're gonna make sure that we have a link for everyone to go. And I, I'm gonna put a link so that it goes directly to Linda's uh, with the, the several talks that she'll be giving at contact and the dessert. Well, listen, let's wind it down, uh, Linda. Yeah. But I want more people to learn about what the work that you have done. Uh, it, as it relates to binary code and symbols, and the work is far from over. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to add this uh, to the tapestry. I want to encourage everyone to head over, head over to Gaia.com. Here's why. Linda did a spectacular episode. She's done a series uh, of episodes called Truth Hunter. And there's one particular episode that I think is probably one of the, the most seen on Gaia in, in this regard. And it has to do with the Rendlesham Forest incident and the binary code messages that were a central part of this episode. So I'm going to make sure I have a link to that as well. I want everyone to see that. You've got to see it. Oh my gosh, Linda, I, I'm going to make sure that I'm at that talk. I tell you what, <laughs> because there's um, there's a lot to to uh, to yes. be revealed here. So, Tremendous. 
Let's yeah. end it there, my dear. Don't hang up. We got to do a proper goodbye, but I'm going to say so long to the Higher Journeys audience for now, and we will talk to you real soon. Take care.